third of Americans approve of how President Trump has handled the anti-police brutality protests in the U.S. We're honoring the brands who have done the bare minimum in response to the protests. And writer Morgan Jerkins is with us to discuss Breonna Taylor and the ways that Black women have been left out of the conversation about police brutality. The date, June 5th, 2020. The time, news o'clock. Hey friends, I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to News O'Clock. So really quickly, I have two mea culpas I want to get out there. First is a correction. In yesterday's episode, I mentioned a case where police officers killed a man with a hammer thinking it was a gun. I said it happened outside LA when really it was a city in the Bay Area. That's my bad. And second, apologies to Kanye West, who I dunked on pretty hard earlier this week. But as it turns out, I have to hold my tongue because he has made a donation of $2 million to charities associated with Ahmed Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd. And he started up a college fund for George Floyd's daughter. So sorry, Kanye. I mean, I'm thankful to be seeing Kanye step up and do this because we all know in the past that uh, the MAGA hat doesn't look great. Does not look great. So I'm really glad, too, that he is putting his money where his mouth is, to be honest. And what a mouth it is. I can't help it. Dang it. Sorry, Kanye. (laughs) I really can't help myself. It's just too easy. Okay. It's time for the TLDR, the most important headlines for the day, brought to the top of your feed. Here are three things you need to know today. One, Trump's poll numbers are up, not great, over his handling of both the coronavirus pandemic and the protests against police brutality. A poll from ABC News and polling firm Ipsos released today finds that only 39% of respondents approve of how the president has tackled the coronavirus in the U.S., a new low in their tracking. People polled were even more critical of how Trump has handled the protest that broke out following Minneapolis police killing a black man named George Floyd. Just under a third of Americans support Trump on that front. The breakdown of those stats along party lines remains stark as ever. The same poll, though, also found a huge swing in American views on racism and police brutality. Nearly three-fourths of Americans viewed George Floyd's death as a sign of an underlying racial injustice problem. That's a 30-point jump compared to just six years ago. Two, a Black Lives Matter chapter is suing the Trump administration for its use of tear gas and other violent methods to clear out peaceful protesters earlier this week. The D.C. chapter of Black Lives Matter filed the suit yesterday, alleging that protesters' rights were violated when law enforcement officers and members of the military used flashbangs, tear gas, smoke canisters, pepper balls, and rubber bullets on peaceful protesters outside the White House on Monday. The plaintiffs also include a woman who was in the park with her nine-year-old child and other protesters from D.C. and Maryland who said they were injured and feared going back out to exercise their free speech rights. The plaintiffs are asking the federal government to be found to have violated the protesters' First and Fourth Amendment rights. They also want the court to issue an injunction against any more crackdowns. And three, a widely circulated study that said the malarial drug hydroxychloroquine can increase death rates in COVID-19 patients has been retracted. The study, which was published in the medical journal The Lancet, claimed to have been drawn from 96,000 patients' cases in countries on six continents. But some experts had questions about how that many cases have been gathered that quickly. The trouble grew when three of the authors asked the fourth for the underlying data set to be audited by outside experts. That fourth author, Sapan Desai, refused to hand it over. 
And so the first three co-authors wrote to The Lancet, asking them to retract the study entirely since they, quote, can no longer vouch for the veracity of the primary data sources. It's going to take a minute to untangle the implications of this, given the impact the study had. The WHO used it as a justification to end its clinical trial of hydroxychloroquine, and several European countries banned its use entirely. That said, there are still yet to be trials that have indicated the sort of beneficial effects that President Trump and his allies have claimed the drug has. Oh, we have been talking about this drug for a long time, and we seem to be no closer to understanding it. (laughs) Not at all. We know that it's not helping, question mark, but is it actively killing people like the way that a bunch of headlines said when the study first came out? TBD? I don't know. It's a mess, though. Uh, I'm really curious to see what happens once the president learns about this. I'm I'm willing to bet money, though, that by the time this episode is published, that there is a tweet saying, I told you so from his account. (laughs) Of course there will be, Hayes. Of course. (laughs) All right. It's time for today's good news, bad news. This is where I bring you some of the most heck yes and most shake in my damn head stories from around the internet. Some good news today. LeBron James is apparently as good at dunking on racist double standards as he is at dunking on the court. Okay, so you may remember that James was one of several athletes that Fox News host Laura Ingram called out for kneeling during the national anthem back in 2018, which she thought was very inappropriate for sports people. Oh, and LeBron and Kevin, you're great players, but no one voted for you. Millions elected Trump to be their coach. So keep the political commentary to yourself, or as someone once said, shut up and dribble. Fast forward to this week, New Orleans Saints quarterback Drew Brees was asked about the kneeling movement and said that he would, quote, never agree with anybody disrespecting the flag of the United States of America. Brees drew a lot of heat for that, but... Ingram was right there to defend him. He's allowed to have his view about what kneeling and the flag means to him. I mean, he's a person. He has some worth, I would imagine. I mean, this is beyond football, though. So James saw that and was quick to point out the double standard. He shared a video comparing the two statements on Twitter saying, quote, If you still haven't figured out why the protesting is going on, why we're acting as we are is because we are simply effing tired of this treatment right here. Can we break it down for you any simpler than this right here? Facepalm emoji. And to my people, don't worry. I won't stop until I see change. All caps. All right, LeBron. All right. I see you. I I know that Drew Brees did actually apologize, though, to both his fans and to New Orleans in general about his statement. So Mm. I don't want to say good job, Drew, but you wait to pick up that fumble to use sports talk. Uh, Yeah, no, still not in support of Drew Brees here. Uh, I, I think the number one thing that has been good is to visually see the hypocrisy and the double standards that have come from this. And I think case in point is just seeing like, um, like when we look at the white protesters who were protesting the stay at home order, and then we're talking about the black protesters, you know, fighting against police brutality. And right there, you're seeing those double standards. So again, LeBron bringing this up is perfect. It's pretty chef's kiss, not going to (laughs) lie. And the bad news, director Ava DuVernay and actor David Oyelowo say their movie Selma was snubbed at the Oscars because of their speaking out about police brutality. Oyelowo, who played Martin Luther King in the film, told Screen Daily that at the movie's premiere in 2014, the cast and crew wore shirts reading, I Can't Breathe. And that was in reference to the death of Eric Gardner, who 
who New York City police killed with a chokehold while arresting him for selling loose cigarettes. Well, Oyelowo says that their shirts had members of the Academy calling the studio and producers to complain. Among the comments Oyelowo repeated were, quote, how dare they do that? And quote, why are they stirring shit? And quote, we are not going to vote for that film because we do not think it is their place to be doing that. And then director Ava DuVernay signed off on Oyelowo's recap in a tweet last night, sharing the Screen Daily article with the words, true story. Ain't that some shit, though? Like, come on, Academy. Uh, that, that checks out for the Academy 100%. I mean, we're talking about the Academy that voted in the, the Green Book, right? So I'm still mad. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm still mad. I didn't think I was this mad still, but I am. Oh, yeah. As soon as you bring up Green Book, and I think that's on the same level. Green Book, I think this is in the same level as the help, which people are realizing right now, which is just like patting white people on the back, you know, like, good job for you. And it's like, no, no, especially when black people actually make stories about the black experience. They apparently have to shut up about the rest of the black experience, talk about just the movie and not the context that it's being released in. So uh, I am so glad that the Academy has completely revamped and will never again have these sort of issues (laughs) ever again. Never again, Hayes. You're correct. (laughs) (laughs) All right. When we come back, we've got writer Morgan Jerkins with us. Stay right there. Fit. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com/slash 2022. This is Roxanne Gay, host of the Roxanne Gay Agenda, the bad feminist podcast of your dreams. Now, what is the Roxanne Gay Agenda, you might ask? Well, it's a podcast where I'm going to speak my mind about what's on my mind, and that could be anything. Every week, I will be in conversation with an interesting person who has something to say. We're going to talk about feminism, race, writing in books and art, food, pop culture, and yes, politics. I start each show with a recommendation. Really, I'm just going to share with you a movie or a book or maybe some music or a comedy set, something that I really want you to be aware of and maybe engage with as well. Listen to the Luminary Original Podcast, The Roxanne Gay Agenda, The Bad Feminist Podcast of Your Dreams, every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From Cavalry Audio comes the new true crime podcast, The Shadow Girls. I always wanted to know what it felt like to kill somebody. Prosecutors described him as a serial killer savant, picking up these girls, getting them in a position of vulnerability. When he got a hold of their neck, that was it. I'm Carolyn Osorio, a journalist and lifelong resident of the Pacific Northwest. I grew up near the banks of the Green River and in the shadow of the killer that bears its name. How many times did you bring the camera to one the river? Time. Just one time. One time. He started fantasizing about having sex with his mother. Then he fantasized about killing her. But this podcast isn't only about tracking down the killer. It's about the victims. We stayed in the woods 
He always liked to go to the woods. She was just, to all of us, kind of strange. You know how he feels about prostitutes? Listen to The Shadow Girls on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. The last week has seen mass protests on the street asking for justice for George Floyd after Minneapolis police killed him during an arrest. But a name that went largely missing for days as the protests gained steam was Breonna Taylor. Taylor was a young black EMT from Kentucky who was killed by police officers in her home on March 13th. Today, June 5th, 2020, would have been her 27th birthday. To discuss Brianna Taylor and the ways that Black women have been left out of the conversation about police brutality, we're joined by Morgan Jerkins. She's a senior editor at Zora Magazine and the author of This Will Be My Undoing, Living at the Intersection of Black, Female, and Feminist in, parentheses, White, America. Morgan, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, Brianna Taylor, what do we know about her and where her case stands right now? She... According to her mother, she wanted to have this career in healthcare, you know, so she had this sort of um, this caring, compassionate spirit. I mean, just when I was reading those words, I just thought about it and, and, the, and the images that keep circulating around her. When I was on social media, I saw pictures of her with her friends, stylistic portraits that have been done of her for her birthday. And it just seems like a, a young woman who had her life cut short, who was just at the start of her career and it was just cut horrifically short. Her killers are still walking free. I have not seen any information about them being charged. I know that there has been some disputes of what was happening with the police officers the night that she was killed. There were sources that said, according to the New York Times, that the police officers had a no-knock warrant, meaning that they were able to get into her apartment and they used a battering ram um, into the apartment. Um, the police officers say that they fired off rounds after her boyfriend shot at the police officer. The mayor condemned uh, Brianna Terrell's death and said, and I think they suspended all no-knock warrants, period. But there has not been any charges for the officer that killed her. We've seen a lot of instances like this where a black woman is killed by police, but her situation doesn't gain as much traction or attention as it should. In Brianna's case, there were about two months where it seems like the public just kind of forgot about her. What do you think's behind the different responses when a black woman is killed by the police versus a black man? Okay, so I'm going to take it a couple of different ways. So I think for one thing, when it comes to Ahmaud Arbery, it took... It wasn't immediate. It took about two months or so for it to gain traction. But one of the things that I think that was going on was that her murder wasn't on video. Now, the question begs, well, why do we as Americans need to see video or images in order to be mobilized to do something, right? But if you look at the history of this country, lynchings, for example, I mean, when that when, when lynchings were... I'm not even going to say in vogue because they're still happening today, but there would be post- there were more prevalent. There were say. more prevalent. Thank you, Hayes. There were more prevalent. I mean, there would be postcards of these murders taking place. And if you look at lynch, if you even just Google lynchings, most of the images you see are of black men. Right. It's it, I had a friend of mine who actually did a thesis on lynchings and she had to do so much more in-depth work finding lynches on black women. It was mostly black men because it was often a tie to their masculinity and the, and the threat of them um, committing sexual violence against white women and their purity. Right. So the reason why I think that it has ignited so much 
fury across the world is because when it comes to black women and the harms against us, we're doubly oppressed by our race and gender. But particularly in America, when it comes to seeing um, this sort of racial terrorism on display, oftentimes when we think about it from photography and video imagery, it's of black men. So I think it's just, it's unfortunately, it's carrying that tradition. I totally get that. That's a really good point. So Morgan, I want to bring up something that might feel kind of counterintuitive at first, and that's the stereotype of the strong Black woman. So I feel like when people are out there on the streets and taking action, we're always talking about how Black women are strong and powerful, etc. And that's clearly all true as hell. But can you talk a little bit about why that framing of Black women's experiences can actually be kind of harmful? Right, because... Black women are conditioned to be the pillars of society. On the one hand, it might seem exultory to say black women are strong because for a certain swath of individuals to be able to endure hundreds of years of, of racial oppression, of systematized oppression, and to still be standing, I think, is admirable and impressive, I suppose. But what the, the double-edged sword about the strong black woman stereotype is that who has our back, right? Who has our back when we're always being the back's for everybody else, right? And and you see this in many different ways, saying someone's a strong black woman, saying um, Michelle Obama save us, for example, right? Or Stacey Abrams save us. It's always like waiting for a black woman to come in and save the day. But when we're down and out, when we're not feeling our best, when we have our weaker moments, who was around us? Who was helping us pick up the slack? And I think that part is often em- omitted from what is supposed to be a well-intentioned compliment. As a writer, what kind of stories do you think we should be telling at this moment? And as an editor, what are you looking to read from others? What I'm looking to read from others, I'll say, is, is a balance. Um, when I started my career writing professionally back in 2014, it's interesting because I started writing at the advent of the Black Lives Matter movement. And many newsrooms were hungry for stories from Black writers across the country because they saw a deficit within their own um, company makeup of those that look like me. And so I was writing a whole lot about police brutality. And I want to urge to writers to make sure that, you know, there are editors out there like myself who aren't just looking for the dark, they're looking for the light too. And what I mean by that is we're looking for those in different parts of the country who are dancing as a part of resistance. We're looking for those who are, who are, finding laughter because a lot of black people we we laugh from our pain right that are finding these innovative ways to commune with each other in the midst of a pandemic in the midst of social isolation so i think that there needs to be a little bit of a balance there because we're still human you know what i mean and it's like we have to laugh we have to and i think that you know for black women especially we always say we try to tell y'all we try to tell y'all we try to tell y'all about trump tried to tell y'all about the police. We tried to tell you all of the the reign of terror that is now reaching its peak. It's, it's, it's increasingly metastasizing every single day and the entire world is seeing it. So it's like, we tried to tell y'all, but because of us being black women, we're like, but we're also going to do our work too. Because we just never, even if we're tired, we don't leave people hanging. Morgan, uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Where can listeners read your work? Okay, so listeners, so you can follow me on Twitter to at Morgan Jerkins. You can also go to my website, um, morgan-jerkins.com. And I have a book coming out August 4th. It's called Wandering in Strange Lands, A Daughter of the Great Migration Returns to Her Roots. So if you're interested in 
migration, land displacement, erasure of, of black people across this country, and of course, the riots and uprisings that, that you know, come from that, please pre-order and buy it. Morgan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. All right. We have time for one more thing. We've noticed brands and celebrities issuing statements in support of the recent protest this week. Statements that, for the most part, don't quite live up to their past actions. And so we have a little treat for you to end a very long week. The last few days have been extremely intense, but we know that no matter how bad things get, there's always going to be one part of America's culture that's there for us. The brands. And after their amazing showing during the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, the brands are really pushing themselves to come up with the right words for these troubled times. And so we wanted to acknowledge and honor some of these champions for equality today. This is the first ever News O'Clock Cookie Awards for those who do the least but still want their cookie. We start off with our largest category, most needing to have sat there and ate their food. This is for the brands that nobody asked for a statement from, and we probably did not need at all. The nominees include Marvel Studios, Star Wars, and PlayStation. And the winner is... Star Wars! With the groundbreaking statement, We stand against racism. We stand for inclusion. We stand with our fellow Black employees, storytellers, creators, and the entire Black community. We must unite and speak out. Thank you, Star Wars. Thank you. I just have to ask, though, where was this energy when you took John Boyega off the poster of the movie in China because racism? Uh, And Kelly Marie Tran. Let's not forget literally all of that debacle. Next up, we have the category, Are You Fucking Kidding Me?, This one is for the truly egregious statements from the hypocrites, the creme de la creme. The nominees include Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg, Amazon, and the National Football League. Close category. And the winner is... The NFL! With this statement, which reads in part, This is a time of self-reflection for all. The NFL is no exception. We stand with the Black community because Black lives matter. Through inspired change, the NFL players and our partners have supported programs and initiatives throughout the country to address systemic racism. We will continue using our platform to challenge the injustice around us. Okay, Colin Kaepernick, who I guess... I guess the man still does not have a job in your league. And you know what? Until that happens, I don't think they get to say this. Just saying. And now for our final category. That's rich coming from you. This one is for the celebrities out there who, for all the money they have, clearly need better PR people. The nominees are Carly Kloss, Jennifer Lopez, and Leah Michelle. And the winner is Carly Kloss with a statement that started, the world will say to you, we need to end racism. Start by healing it in your own family. The world will say to you, how do we speak to bias and bigotry? Start by having the first conversation at your own kitchen table. Carly! (laughs) 
Carly, you are at the table. You are at the biggest table you could have right now because you are married to Jared Kushner's brother. Your sister-in-law is Ivanka Trump. You are you are there. You are at the kitchen table, the gilded kitchen table, Carly. I am. I was just silent, laughing and crying. Like, oh my god, the audacity! You don't get to have your cake and eat it too, Carly. You don't. And shout out to Tabby Gevinson for calling her out for exactly this point and saying the words that we all wanted to say to Carly. Truly, it's all very inspiring. And that's it for the Cookie Awards. We pride ourselves on being the shortest award show of the season. Thank you to all of the brand celebs out there. Where would we be without you? Okay, but Casey, really quickly, jokes aside, uh, I think there is actually one brand that manages to say something truly real and timely. Oh, I know who you're going to say. I know who you're going to say. It's so good. Okay, go. It's Ben and Jerry's, <laughs> our ice cream gods up in Vermont. You read their state. I read their statement. And it was so good. It's so good. And then I went and I think I like sent it to 10 different people individually because they just, they speak so eloquently and well and direct. So if you did not actually get the chance to read it, I recommend you go read the whole thing because it's long, but it includes this bit. The murder of George Floyd was the result of inhumane police brutality that is perpetuated by a culture of white supremacy. What happened to George Floyd was not the result of a bad apple. It was the predictable consequence of a racist and prejudiced system and culture that has treated black bodies as the enemy from the beginning. Whew, I, the fire they brought to that has melted all of their ice cream stores. <laughs> yeah, and now they'll have to restock and we'll have to restock. And I promise this is not an ad. We just love Ben and Jerry's. And that's our show for the week. We'll be back on Monday to talk about the wild amount of disinformation that's been spreading online as the protests have grown. And remember... This show was published on Friday evening, East Coast time. That means if you're listening to it, it's technically after five o'clock, no matter where you are. Just saying. News O'Clock is produced by Dan Bauza, Hiba Elorbani, and Alan Haberchak. Special thanks to Tracy Ayers, Mangesh Hatikader, Samantha Hinnig, Patrick McMiniman, and Tommy Wesley. Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember, set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. I'm John Gonzalez, the host of SI's new podcast, Sports Illustrated Weekly. Sports Illustrated has delivered some of the best storytelling in sports for 70 years. And now that continues on our show. Each week, we'll dive deep into the best stories from around the sports world. Sports Illustrated Weekly is available every Wednesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe now. Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Hillary Clinton, and I'm so excited to be back with a third season of You and Me Both. 
When I started this podcast, we were going through some tough times, and let's face it, we still are. And here's what I know. We cannot get through this alone. So please join me for more conversations with people who will make you think, make you laugh, and help us find a path forward. This season, I'll be talking about the state of our democracy with experts and with people organizing on the ground. We'll draw inspiration from some amazing people like Olympic star Allison Felix and Grammy Award winner Brandi Carlisle. And we'll get into the hard stuff with writer Cheryl Strayed and my dear friend and colleague Huma Abedin. So join us, listen to you and me both on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 